Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This episode is airing in early February, which will be about how to love your job again. We can all go through little slumps in our careers, even if we're generally in jobs we like. And so, you know, as we're thinking about Valentine's Day this month, it helps to think about how we might love all the things in our lives. And sort of similar to any long-term relationship, a job can benefit from putting a little extra into it as long as you genuinely believe it is the right job for you to be in. So just if you notice my voice sounds a little different, I have a confession to make here. Sarah, perhaps you could describe this wretched scene that you are seeing on the video. (laughs) So I've recorded many episodes with Laura. This is, we're in the mid 300s, but this is the first time we have ever recorded one where she is horizontal. She's lying down. She unfortunately sustained a She's talked about her back on the podcast before, but this is an acute flare up of some back pain that is absolutely terrible. I mean, I can see that by looking at her. I feel so bad for her. 
I did suggest we move this recording, but in typical Laura fashion, she felt like she wanted to see how we did today. And so far, I think so good. But I hope that by the time everyone is hearing this episode, this is a distant memory. We can all laugh about it and that you're back and twisting in every which direction, pain-free moving forward. Yeah, exactly. I tried to go to my recording closet and I was like, nope, this is not going to work. <laughs> so here I am doing this on my back with my heating pad in my bed. So anyway, that is the upside of my job is that I can do this from my house, which is good. I can't even imagine why if I was trying to get to an office, it just wouldn't work. So that's why people wind up on uh, disability when they are in back pain. But speaking of jobs, Sarah, what were your early jobs that you did like as a teenager? Yeah. So my early jobs, I had several of them. I grew up where you currently live. So I was a camp counselor at a camp that is not far from where you are. I was a camper there until until you age out and become a CIT. And then I was a counselor in training and then an assistant counselor for a couple of years. And so that was my first job. I did it during the summers. I got paid like nothing. I believe the summer salary for five weeks of full-time work, because it was from like eight to or something like that was $300 for the summer. And then the second summer, I got a huge raise to $400 for the summer. But it was really fun. And I feel like I did learn a lot about like just being responsible and working as a team, taking care of kids, what I liked and didn't like. And I always requested the um, five and six-year-olds because I felt like they were old enough not to be babies, but young enough that they were listening to me. So I really liked it. And then I also worked at a video store, which we don't even have those anymore. So it was a relic of the past. And I did a lot of babysitting as well. I remember rates of like $2 an hour at certain people's houses. And I actually, I didn't mind babysitting. I, you know, the time passed quickly. It was something to do. And then if the kids went to bed, you can kind of relax, eat the fun snacks, et cetera. So those were my main jobs. Um, I guess the most job-like one was the video store one. That was my first taste of like, do I want to work retail long-term? The answer was <laughs> What no. was the answer? Do you want to work retail long-term? No, I did not. No, I did not. So she wound up in medicine. Very different, but uh, I'm very curious. Yeah. What, what would people have been renting that year? That was the, oh, the Laura. most common. Well, Titanic was big. There was big, a contest okay. of how many copies of Titanic you could sell. I still see 1997 movies and, and like, I'm like, oh, yep, that was like a video store year. <laughs> that was the one. <laughs> but awkwardly, we also rented adult movies. Ooh. And so... So you know which of your neighbors were renting the correct. adult ones. Yep. I got yep. to see who was returning what, and I didn't want to know. So that was a downside. <laughs> Back in the day, kids these days, they don't know how difficult it was for people to uh, tap into that urge. I worked at a couple places. I worked in an aerobics daycare one summer. You know, where people would go work out and they could drop their kids while they were doing it. I worked at Fazoli's Italian Restaurant for a summer. That was quite the experience of uh, customer service and dealing with everyone uh, wanting certain things on a fast food. Like, <laughs> if you think about people trying to customize their fast food orders anyway, I worked at Osco Drugstore for a summer. Worked in, uh, did a paper delivery job for a while, plus a lot of babysitting. My kids, have not. So I guess my older kids would have been old enough to have summer jobs. Certainly, I guess Jasper could have had a job last summer. He didn't wind up doing that. He wound up doing some other things. I don't know. They probably, I mean, they babysit for me when I need it for Henry and Alex. Sometimes that is 
unpaid as part of your household duties. And sometimes it is paid because it's something I would have had to hire, you know, an adult sitter to do. If I'm doing something for work, for instance, I will usually pay them for doing it. But uh, yeah. So anyway, this main sec, I mean, are your kids going to work? What do you think? I hope so, honestly. I mean, I think it depends. I think summer is the best time. I do see kids struggle sometimes. Like, you know, I notice in my patients, the ones that are trying to like do school activities and then also manage jobs during the school year. Some of them really do struggle. And I think it's a lot. But the summers are often wide open if they're past the kind of camp age. I think if a kid made a really serious case for like, I want to go to this specific experience and it wasn't a job, I'd be fine with it. But if there's not something else that they want to do, I think working is a great thing for them to do. I actually think camp counselor is something I would encourage all of my kids to at least consider because it's social and there's a fun camp atmosphere, but you also get that kind of responsibility piece. So it's a way to experience camp on a different level, but also probably gain some skills from it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that sounds like it might be fun. Maybe that's something I'll suggest for my kids to try out. So, you know, this episode is about how to love your job again. We're going to be looking at a couple of different areas. You know, we're going to be talking about passion such as it is. <laughs> we're going to be talking about, I have to look at my we list. We have four Sarah. P's, Laura. We I think we came P's. up with these in a brainstorming session and we were very proud of ourselves. So I think we <laughs> should share the four P's even before. So there is passion. passion. There is people. There is progress and there is pleasure. Yes. Yeah. We're going to use that as our framework. Yes. But before we get to that, we do want to put in a a little caveat here that if you are particularly unhappy in your job and you're thinking that maybe you want to find a new job, you should totally go for it. I mean, I hear these stories from people all the time. They talk themselves into all sorts of limiting beliefs about their current employment, such as I'll never find another job that's this flexible, right? So maybe you've achieved a certain sort of work-life balance. The work doesn't interest you. Maybe it's not even paying as much as you're probably worth, but you're like, how will I ever find another boss who lets me do X, Y, and Z whenever I want? Well, let's hear about it. The labor market is just so much less flexible than, so much less efficient than the capital markets. Like Money tends to go wherever because a dollar is worth the same in anything. So if something's getting much better returns over time, more people are going to go there like pretty quickly. But the labor market, the job you have is one that was available when you were looking and that you knew about, right? And so if you think about all those constraints on what you would have found, there is absolutely no guarantee that you would have optimized on any dimension, right? So if you haven't optimized on any dimension, that means it's actually possible to improve on multiple dimensions at the same time. So it is entirely possible that you will find a job that you like more, that is more flexible, and that pays you more. Like you just don't know until you look. So why not work your network, see what's out there. This is a good exercise at any point. I mean, if for no other reason, then you can see what other people are maybe earning and work your way into a raise. That's all worth trying. But uh A generally good job is also like, I would guess, a generally good marriage, if we're going to use this metaphor here. Everything goes through ups and downs. And what you get out of it is going to be a function of what you're putting into it. So you can look for a new job, but there's also no guarantee that will be perfect. And if any of the issues in your current job in any way stem from you, (laughs) like those are absolutely going to be repeated in a new situation. So if you, you know, have this in your mind, like, oh, it's, 
impossible to hire good people. Like you may find it's also impossible to fire, hire new people in your new job. Like it's maybe that you aren't, you know, looking for the right things in people. If you're like, oh, people, you know, never respect boundaries and then you get to a new job. And you're like, well, people don't respect boundaries here too. It's like, well, maybe we need to be a little bit more firm in those boundaries. So anyway, just something to keep in mind there. I like that. I like that thought about the the kind of job market not being one that's that's optimized by pressures. I think that is something to reflect on, even though we're not encouraging people to necessarily go job shopping in this episode. That was not the point, but I, I had never thought about it that way. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And Sarah, you've done a lot of things in your current job to improve it over the years and to make it a better fit. Maybe you can share some of those with our listeners. Yes. So I have definitely gone along the route of kind of customize and tweak my own job rather than trying other jobs because I am still in my first job out of fellowship training. I've been there over a decade now at the same healthcare system, but my role has definitely changed. And it's changed a lot because I do a lot of reflection on like, I like this. I don't like this. This works. This doesn't work. And so I have gone from entirely clinical to being in kind of clinical slash hybrid leadership role to having the leadership role be a major part of my job with um, numerous kind of leadership tracks, things going on, to then deciding that I preferred to focus more on my creative pursuits because I found myself wanting to do that more and more anyway and didn't feel like I could give my all to both realms. And then dialing back to my current iteration, which is 60% clinical, 40% working for myself. So a lot of that has just taken, you know, reflective time, conversations with my husband, thinking about what I like to do during the week and what I don't, thinking about what stresses me out and takes away from the rest of my life and what doesn't. And even like down to the minutia level, like we talk about like how your time is spent. I think one thing that helped me kind of I guess optimize the the parts that I still have are to think about like what needs to be me doing it and what am I good at and enjoy and what could more easily be either eliminated or outsourced. My example here being I want to spend face-to-face time with patients, being able to sit there and answer their questions without seeming rushed. And I don't want to be playing with the fax machine because <laughs> one of those requires me and really benefits from my training and just generally me being present as a human. And one of them, someone else can can make the fax machine probably work better than I can because I'm really not good at faxing things. <laughs> it's surprising that people are still faxing things. I guess that's just Welcome medicine is the medicine. one area <laughs> where it's like, we have this thing. <laughs> we have the internet, which sends stuff digitally, but I guess faxes work as well. But yeah, Sarah's totally right about the idea of needing to figure out where your time is going at work. Like we can often talk about how happy we are with various things just in abstractions. and. That may not actually be all that helpful. So actually try as a first step to loving your job again, try tracking your time at work. I always think people should track all their time, all 168 hours of the week. So you might want to do that, partly because sometimes work slips into other crevices of the week, right? You know, it's quite possible that you do some work at night or maybe you sometimes do work on the weekends or something like that. And it's helpful to know exactly what the shape of that is. But then also what you're doing during standard working hours, like, you know, how much of your time is spent on the things that you like, how much time is spent on the things that you don't like, are the stories you are telling yourself accurate? I know we just did our time tracking challenge a couple of weeks ago on my blog and, and in my newsletters. And one of the things I pointed out to people is 
I clocked 38 hours of work for the week, which is pretty typical for me. I'm almost always somewhere between 35 and 40 hours. But I worked at least three wake nights after 6 p.m. I worked on both weekend days in order for it to hit that 38 hours. And so if I was telling myself a story of like, look how overworked I am because I'm working at night and on the weekends, I'm not sure that would be entirely accurate given that I'm only clocking 38 hours a week, right? What's What's actually going on is that I am through choice and through happenstance often doing things that are not work during working hours. And in order to actually get all the work I have to do done, I need to use those night and weekend hours. So it's a different story. That's more a story of like, well, maybe if if I don't like working at nights and weekends, I need to change up my work days to be a little bit more focused or, you know, not do stuff with the kids after school. But if I decide that like, actually, I'm okay with stopping work at four o'clock to deal with kids, then the nights and weekends are just going to be part of it. So, you know, you want to make sure you're telling yourself a story and also what you're doing during those working hours. So let's take a quick ad break and then we will be back with more on making work work for you. Hey listeners, after five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Today's episode is sponsored by Thrive Cosmetics. Thrive Cosmetics beauty products are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. They are made with clean, skin-loving ingredients, high-performance and trademarked formulas, and using uncompromising standards. I've learned that the things I value most in my skincare and makeup are efficiency, quality, and ease of use. I have found all of these and more in Thrive Cosmetics. Lately, I've been super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. This is a flake-free tubing formula that never clumps, and trust me, if I can get it to look good, anyone can. The other wonderful thing about Thrive is that Cause is in their name for a reason, with every purchase supporting organizations that help communities thrive. I love supporting a company that truly gives back. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash bestof for 20% off your first order. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Well, we are back talking how to love your job again. It is February. We are coming into Valentine's Day and you know, we want to think about all the things we love in our lives, and hopefully we love our work too. And if we're not truly in love with our work, there may be ways that we can become a little bit more enamored with our current jobs. We just talked about tracking our time. And now we're going to look at the four dimensions of passion, people, productivity, and pleasure. I mean, passion first might be slightly tricky. We don't all have to be what we wanted to be when we grow up. You know, we wanted to be a ballerina or an astronaut. Maybe we have some ballerinas and astronauts listening to this show. But probably most people wound up in other things. And I'm not sure that everyone dreamed of being, say, an insurance executive when you grew up. But on the other hand, there are probably things within that that you are very passionate about, whether that is mentoring your colleagues, whether that is designing better products, whatever it happens to be. So as you look at your time log, you might want to say, well, what are the favorite parts of my job? in terms of how I am spending my hours, and then set yourself a goal. Could you spend at least one more hour beyond what you are currently spending over the next week on the parts of your job that you love? So Sarah, what are your favorite parts of your job? Yeah, well, I'm going to focus on my non-clinical job. And actually, I'm going to do a tiny detour because when you're talking about passion, it definitely like reminded me of the fact that I've heard some people talk about following your passion to choose your career and other people talking about how like that's a terrible idea. So there's like interesting conflicting ideas about this. But I think we are getting to an interesting middle ground here, which is like, okay, you're not necessarily going to be that football player that you were dreaming about in second grade. But can you find some piece of what you're doing to be passionate about and maybe try to grow at that piece? So that's kind of where we fall on the, the spectrum of following your passion. I really enjoy writing. I like connecting with others. I love talking about planning and organizing and productivity. And I do enjoy speaking. The more I do it, the more I'm just happy that I'm comfortable doing it and it becomes really fun. And so I am really happy that I've been able to kind of expand those pieces of my non-clinical work, now teaching courses, you know, doing presentations and that kind of a thing, as well as I've always enjoyed writing. And there's a lot of writing that goes in, even though I'm not an author or like writer like that. I'm churning out a lot of scripts and a lot of content. And so I feel like I get to connect with that part of what I enjoy on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely like the writing aspect. I like sharing content with people. Certainly, I love recording these podcasts. I love interacting with our Patreon community and things like that. So, you know, really drill down into what are the parts of your job you love best. Try and spend an extra hour over the next week on that. And then, of course, there is the things you love the least. Right? What are your least favorite parts of your job as you look at how you are spending your hours? And the goal is, could you spend one hour less on those things over the course of the week? 
So Sarah, I know you recently worked on your patient checkout template, right? As a way to spend less time on things that were related to like printing and fax machines and more time with the actual patient interaction. Yes, I had this habit of, it started when I first began working where I worked, where I felt like sometimes patients didn't have a clear idea of what they needed at the checkout desk, meaning like, what lab orders do they need? When do they need to schedule the next appointment? Like, will they actually get the instructions that I write out for them? Because there's something called an after visit summary, and we can actually type that up in the room for them to see it, but for them to actually get a physical copy of that, which some people still really like having it physically, I would wonder about it. And so I spent a lot of time running around, printing it out myself, printing out the labs myself, handing them to the patient. And then like kind of walking them to the front desk. And then I went to an ortho appointment when I had hurt my knee and I saw that he had given me a checkout sheet that basically had checkboxes of what types of orders were needed when the appointment needed to be happened. And then it like checked off that like the person at the front needed to give my instructions. And he just did that with a pen. So it was super quick, like at the very end of the visit. And I'm like, he works for the same organization I do. I'm like, I can do that too. So I made my own checkout sheet. And you know what? It has been Awesome. And I'm not kidding. I think I save myself an hour a day because even if it's five minutes a day, that only takes 12 patients to like save me an an hour a day of running around and chasing around printouts. And then the printer's out of paper and I have to go find the paper and like, oh my God. So it's been, it's so silly and it's so small, but I'm so happy to then maybe have that hour back to spend in the room talking to people, answering questions, et cetera. Yeah. No, that's a, big win. And I I imagine that a lot of people have, I mean, especially if you're only aiming for one hour a week, like one hour a day might be hard for a lot of people to engineer into their lives, but an hour a week, I mean, maybe it's some meeting that has outlived its usefulness. Maybe it's a meeting that is useful, but doesn't need to take as much time as it's taking. Maybe it's a meeting that you've been doing in person that actually could be done by Zoom. And so you could minimize the travel time. I mean, even if people are in the same complex, but you're on opposite sides of it. I mean, you know, can save 10 minutes of walking back and forth if if it's something that's, you know, an already established relationship and it's more of a check-in as opposed to building a, a new relationship. It could be that you spend a little bit less time on email. I know that's a productivity drain for a lot of people to feel like they are always in their inbox. And so the question is, do you actually need to be always in your inbox? Or are you doing that to yourself? I'm not saying only check it once a day or anything like that, but you might be able to check I don't know, four times a day or or five or six times a day, but five or six times a day is very different from like in and out every 10 minutes over the course of an eight hour day, which is what a lot of people or just are keeping doing. it open. And then every keeping time it open, seeing out, it, you, you know, just whatever. glance at it and triage it like, oh, my God. And yeah, yeah. And you might be able to spend significantly less time processing it if you are batching that task, for instance. So Or maybe there's something you've been doing forever that you're a total rock star at, and it's really time to start training someone else on it. Obviously, they won't do it nearly as well as you the first time. Maybe they won't do it as well as you the first 10 times. But, you know, by 11th time on, it's going to be a pretty good substitute for what you were doing. And so that can buy yourself an extra hour as well. So speaking of other people we work with, colleagues and stuff like that, that is the second dimension. Because... Many times, there's been some fascinating research on this. And, you know, Gallup asks a question about whether you have a best work friend. And it's one of the answers that is most highly correlated with how engaged and satisfied people are with their jobs. Because the truth is, if you're spending time with somebody Monday through Friday that you would be willing to spend time with after work and on the weekends too, you get a little bit of that like 
happiness that you would have had from the weekend in your weekday, right? That you are actually enjoying the time you are spending at work because you are enjoying this other person's company. Now, I'm going to say, I don't know that you have to have like a best friend, but having a group of people that you truly enjoy hanging out with at work can like massively increase your satisfaction. And, and this is not just random. I mean, sometimes like you meet someone wonderful who just comes up and decides that they are going to be your best friend and it's great, but it usually doesn't work like that. It's usually that you have people that you genuinely like, and then you try to move them a little bit up the friendship ladder by getting to know them, by arranging opportunities to see them and things like that. So Sarah, I know, I mean, you obviously see your clinical colleagues just by virtue of being in the office a lot, but how have you nurtured those relationships over time? Yeah, I don't feel like I have one best work friend, but I have a lot of good work friends, like a lot. Like I have the ones at work. I have ones that are actually at other institutions that are more from training that we connect on work matters every once in a while and we get to hang out in person at conferences and stuff. But one thing I've done that's been very like intentional and Amy, if you're listening to this because you listened last time, yes, I'm going to bridge. She said, oh, I heard you talk about us on the podcast. So I'm going to do it again on purpose. So we do Friday lunches. And I'm usually the one that sends a text that's like, lunch, everyone, that I goes out to like several endocrinologists, some in the adult world, some in the pediatric world. I think we're going to add like an adult endosurgeon to that list too. You have to have some endocrinology angle. We can be more inclusive. <laughs> to be I don't in know. Sarah's exclusive lunch club. <laughs> but, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't because we have meetings or a late patient. But when it happens, it's great. And it's just like a no brainer because like we all have an easy place to eat. And it's one of those things like you've decided it once and then you can just like keep doing it. So that's been really fun. And I feel like has helped deepen those relationships. And I also have to say my colleagues like having that friendship with my clinical colleagues can make really stressful times so much better. I feel very lucky to work with the people that I work with. And we do a few social things outside of work, but we also always are there to support each other when we need help. Like, how do I help treat this patient or whatever to be able to go to someone that you really respect and also like? It just makes the whole thing more fun. And then on the podcasting side, Laura, I mean, we're we're obviously like podcast besties. And then I also have like made some other podcasting friends. So that's also super fun and has just, you know, made the whole thing more enjoyable. Absolutely. It's exciting that I get to like chat with Sarah for multiple hours per week. <laughs> it's like something I would enjoy doing even if I wasn't recording it. And then we get to record it and turn it into something that everyone else can listen to as well. So yeah, I mean, think about ways you might do this. So obviously a weekly lunch is great. Like Friday works for Sarah because she's in the office that day. A lot of people I know in more corporate jobs, Friday's your work from home day. So maybe it's Thursday, right? That, that's a good way that you kind of cap off the week by meeting your work besties in person on Thursday. You know, it might be just that you try to grab coffee with the same group of people when you're in the office in mid-afternoon or go for a walk together. That's something that you could arrange. And obviously, doing a work project together is a good way to guarantee that you will see that person a lot. You know, and you can't always control this. Like, sometimes we get staffed on things that are just because you are an expert in this and you're you know, good friends are in something totally different. So you're not going to wind up on the same project. But if you ever can arrange it so that you are working on something together, then that will be a lot of time built into the day just as reality. So the next P, progress. <laughs> we had to make this all work together. Work is more satisfying when it feels productive and you are looking forward to the future. All right. So two goals that we can do in the next week or so. 
One is, could you cross everything off your priority list for the week? And second, do you have something coming up that you are genuinely looking forward to? And I think both of those can be helped by a good planning ritual. You know, longtime listeners know I try to plan my weeks on Fridays or Thursdays, but you know, toward the end of the working week, looking forward to the next week, saying, what is most important for me to do? And then the goal is to have all those things crossed off by the end of next Friday, unless, you know, I know I'm going to do it on a Saturday or Sunday, in which case that's fine. I can put it then. But to end the week with all of those things crossed off, because then that feels incredibly satisfying. Now, obviously, life happens. I'm sitting here (laughs) debilitated in my bed. Not everything that was supposed to happen this week has happened. But I find, though, that if you know what is absolutely most important, you can still get to those things, even if you don't get to everything. So that exercise of identifying what would be absolutely most important then you can still make sure that you focus on those and whatever limited work time you have. So even if your kids are homesick from school or you've got snow days or whatever else, you may have only done the three most important things, but you've done them. And so you still feel this incredible sense of progress. So Sarah, you you do that. I know you have your planning rituals all carved out. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to say some of that is just the awareness that you've thought about them, that you did it and you got it done and kind of giving yourself credit and celebrating because we often forget to do that. But yeah, I think that, you know, we are humans. We are designed to like have quests and then meet the quest and then get the next quest. And, you know, there are exceptions to that at different times of life. Sometimes you may feel less driven by this kind of thing. And then sometimes I think when you are in one of those phases of life, you can actually look for almost like meta progress. Like, so for example, if you're like, I don't want to tackle anything, but I have a newborn baby. And like, my goal is to just earn my paycheck for the next ever, wherever many months, or just like earn these paid time off days that I'm going to use in a fun way in the future. Like, again, like that's not really what we're getting at, but there are phases of life where sometimes you just kind of have to be really, really basic in what you're progressing to. And then even on a micro level, I have always felt a weird comfort in creating little checkboxes for every patient I see and then checking them off throughout the day. I have no idea like why this helps me, but I think it's because I get to do something that like acknowledges my sense of progress. And then I get to, at the end of the day, see that like I did all that I set out to do during that clinical day. So yeah, I think noticing your progress, acknowledging your progress and looking for it in different levels, depending on where you are in life can be appropriate. And then making sure you always have something to look forward to as well. I know I'm looking forward to our hopefully upcoming retreat. Sarah and I do regular podcasting retreats where we plan the upcoming season, think about what we're doing, guests we'd like to have, topics we want to cover, any sort of business-related kind of things. Hopefully, I will be walking again by then. I know. We might have uh, to move it to Philadelphia. We'll see. (laughs) I know. So it would be in my bedroom. I I really hope. I I have so much stuff I have to do over the next two months. I cannot still be in my bed bound. Oh, my goodness. Oh, dear. Well, there you go. And then the last P is pleasure. And work is more fun when each day features little treats. And for the vast majority of jobs, the easiest way to do this is to take real intentional breaks. Right. So even if the substance of your job isn't magical ballerina and astronaut related activities, although both of those 
groups still have to do all kinds of hard stuff and tedious stuff in the course of their lives. Like, don't get me wrong, it may sound magical, but I'm sure they are also in meetings and doing administrative stuff and hours of training for whatever. But, you know, just that you have little breaks in the course of the day where you do something that you truly love. So your goal for the week is to create a break portfolio for each day. So look at your schedule. Think roughly, where could I schedule in two tiny breaks and one lunch? What would this ideally look like? What would the rhythm be? And what would you do on those breaks that would be enjoyable to you? So Sarah, you, you know, you've tried to be pretty good about your lunch breaks over the years. Yes, although confession is that my current lunch break, a lot of times I take a break from my clinical job to write a blog post. So I'm like taking a break from one job to do another, but I enjoy but, writing but blog it's good posts. Stuff. It's it's fun stuff, right? You and I usually have time left over to then like that's when I browse other people's blogs before my first patient room. So that's my current. In the past, I've done walking. I don't do that currently because I run so much in the morning. I like don't need to move after that generally. And then I have little micro breaks that I take sometimes where I do Duolingo because that only takes about 10 minutes. And then social breaks. Just be like, okay, let me walk around and see what everybody is up to. Especially like on a Friday, you want to like say hi to everyone, see what they're doing on the weekend. So sometimes my breaks are as simple as like just literally do a lap around the office. Then I can stop at the bathroom too. (laughs) (laughs) Multi-purpose break there. Yeah. You have to deal with the biology as well. You know, I definitely like listening to my Bach. That's um, so listening to inspiring music is something that you could do during a little break in work. I was doing stretches when I was mobile. <laughs> we'll see how the back exercises come back into my life. They will, but um, I'm taking a little break on that one. I like to go for a walk around my yard. We've got some nice tree areas that um, I can get into from my yard. And so I definitely like to go through that and sort of observe the changing seasons. It's all snowy now, but uh, in the summer, it'll be all green. So it's very different to see the same nature. And going for a walk is always a a mood booster. Try and have lunch with, if my husband is working from home, we'll try to take lunch at the same time so we can hang out. And that's always a, a nice thing to do. But obviously, if you are in an office, you know, having lunch with a friend, going for a walk, you know, listening to music or reading something inspiring, those are all ways that you can put little doses of pleasure into your day. So really put some thought into this, into your break portfolio over the week. And I think you'll find yourself liking your job a lot more. So four dimensions, remember passion, trying to spend an hour more on the stuff you like and an hour less on the stuff you don't like. People, making sure that you see the people you like at your job and trying to move them a little bit up the friendship ladder through learning more about them and spending more time together. Progress, setting your priority list for the week and getting through Everett, all of it, and making sure you have something that you are looking forward to in your working life. And then pleasure in terms of taking your break portfolio over the course of the day. So I think all of that might help you like your job a little bit more. I love it. And now we're going to pivot entirely because (laughs) our question this week has absolutely nothing to do with loving your job, but we thought it was a fun question. So we're going to include it. So this was a question that was sent primarily to Laura, since you'll see why in a second, which is basically, tell us about the dog. What are the pros and cons of getting a dog? How much of the dog is your responsibility? And do you regret getting a dog? <laughs> you know, tread, tread carefully on that. I know we have a ton of dog lovers listening to this, this podcast, and there are a lot of dog lovers in the world. I have never been a dog person. You know, I didn't grow up with one. It's not something that I was ever 
excited about doing. My husband did grow up with dogs and sort of felt like this was something that he wanted our kids to experience. You know, kids, of course, always love the idea of having a dog. Like that's just, it's often kids lobbying for it, but there's sort of the trope of the kids lobby for it. And then they don't do the work of taking care of the dog. And I think in many families, what winds up happening is because mom is more flexible or is home more or whatever else, or is just more responsible, she winds up doing the vast majority of the work, whoever wanted the dog. Now, I can say in my family that has not happened because I was very, very clear at the outset, this is my husband's dog. I mean, I'm here. like, So yes, I guess I'm a dog mom too, but he is primarily responsible for it. So he walks the dog or he has our children do it. Now, if he is gone for the day, right? Because obviously he has a job and uh, as do I, but you know, I'm more often here at the house. If he's working from home, he is the one who takes the dog out. If he is not working from home, he often either leaves a little bit later so the dog can go until our kids are home from school. And then our 14-year-old is responsible for the dog if my husband is not here. He has gone to doggy daycare. So if my husband is working in the office two days a week, sometimes he'll just bring the dog to doggy daycare two times a week, which by the way, Max loves doggy daycare. So, you know, I know some people would feel guilt about putting their kids in daycare. People feel guilt about putting their dogs in daycare. Let me just say that he is, the times I've brought him, he is racing out of the car to try to get into this place. He's so excited. So there's really no guilt with this. And then if my husband is traveling for multiple days, we will also actually sometimes send the dog over to his favorite dog sitter, which again, one might feel guilt about this, but the dog sitter is often caring for two or three dogs at a time. And so Max is like, it's a party. He is so excited. He is bounding out of the car to get to her house and playing with his friends there. So what this means is that while I do wind up taking care of Max, sometimes it is not really always my responsibility. And so if you are not the one who wants the dog, I think you need to be very clear about your boundaries with how the care will happen for it. Now, in the case of this listener, it turns out that she is the one who really wants the dog. And her husband is way, way more mixed on this concept. And in similar fashion to us, her husband is the one who works from home. So I said, you know, you need to have a conversation with him about this, like what he is willing to do, because by default, it would be his job unless you specifically figure out something else. And so I think they're going to work out a system as well where the dog goes to doggy daycare a few times a week, and then the dog is home when she is home, because she can work from home at least once or twice a week as well. And so kids can help too. Just keep in mind that kids are at school from like eight to four each day. And generally, a dog is going to need to be walked at least once in there. I mean, just for exercise and for sanitation. Uh, So you're going to either have to hire someone to do it. The person who works from home is going to have to do it, or you're going to have to figure out something else. So just be very clear on this. And then, so everyone is on board with it. We're not going to end a dog. (laughs) Yes, Sarah, you're not getting a dog. (laughs) No, not until. Hard no in the younger household. (laughs) Hard no for now. Hard no for now. At one point when the kids were much younger, I was like, 2024, we could get a dog. Ha ha ha. <laughs> no, it's no, 2024. 2020, you still don't want a dog. Around 2022, I was like, 2024, we will not get a dog. 
Similarly, I'm I'm not really a dog person. I'm sorry. It doesn't make me a horrible human. I love individual dogs. Like, you know, my sister's dog is super cute. My in-laws dog is super cute, but I don't personally want one. I know how much work it is. I know how much time my husband has. I know how my kids will handle this. And it's just not going to work for us now. I could totally see the benefits of a dog like when my kids have grown up and like we have much more flexible schedules together because I think for certain people, like it gets them outside, it gets them active, it might get them social in ways they wouldn't otherwise. So I'm not ruling out a dog in my lifetime, but not in this season, just in case anyone was curious. But your dog (laughs) is awesome. Don't worry. I love your dog. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, yeah. So just go in with your eyes open. That's what I was saying. Like, you know, kids will help, but they usually have to be asked. You need an adult who is primarily responsible And if the adult who would be more flexible is not the one who is excited about the dog, you need to make sure that you reach a situation where that person is not going to be resentful of what's going on. Because obviously, once the dog is part of the family, they're there and they're going to be there for many years. So, you know, you want everyone to be happy with the setup. So love of the week. I'm not currently experiencing this right now as I'm sitting in my bed, but in my home office, when I can make it down there, I have a gas fireplace. It's this old library. It was in this, you know, we renovated this historic house a couple years ago. And so it's the old library space that I've turned into my home office. And so it's so wonderful just to be able to click on a remote and have a fire in my office. And it's very cozy if I'm like reading or doing some sort of deep writing work. I'm like, ah, I feel like I'm inspired just by the flames going. I even like those Netflix fireplace scenes. <laughs> That's true. And you can turn fact- that on. We had a fireplace in Miami Beach, which is hilarious. And it got used like five. It was a gas fireplace. We probably used it five times a year. But even though you could just turn it on with a remote or with a click, like. Yes, it was a remote. Exactly. Yeah. But even then, there was no reason. No, it was hot. Like, why would you. It was hot. Okay. Why would you. Why would you put a fire? Yeah, it was not just a visual. It was like it had a gas thing. So it was going to heat your area. And we just didn't have a need for that all that often. My love of the week is my work colleagues and the fact that we're having a karaoke night soon. Karaoke is so fun. It's especially fun with work colleagues, and I'm looking forward to it. What's your go-to karaoke song, Sarah? La Isla Bonita by Madonna. Excellent. <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. We've been talking about how to love your job again. Hopefully, people have gotten a few ideas from this about you know ways you can just increase the good stuff, maybe dial down a little bit of the bad stuff that's inevitable in every job and feel some new energy toward your work in this new year. So we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.